Well, good morning, and happy Mother's Day, and uh, it's a special day to remember, really, God's whole design for the family. Thank you for joining us online as well, and uh, I just want to make a, uh, read, read a couple of verses from Proverbs. If you're in the room here with us, you might notice the uh, special poster we have. Thank you, Anya. Uh, her children rise up and call her blessed from Proverbs 31. And just as a call to worship, I'd like to just read a couple of the verses surrounding that in this important uh, final proverb of Proverbs 31. So let me just uh, read with you. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. If that's not written to husbands, I don't know who, well, who it's written to, but... Uh, no, we want to uh, recognize and, and just thank the Lord for all the moms in our lives, uh, some who are still with us and all around us every day, others who have gone on uh, perhaps uh, uh, to see the Lord already as well. But we are so grateful that you are here this morning, and we want to recognize that. In a few moments, we will have a uh, child dedication as well. But first, I want to uh, point out a couple of things uh, bulletin-wise, uh, events in the church pretty much read it on your own that the welcome class has just begun on wednesdays you're welcome to join us uh, you haven't missed too much on that second peter study has started for the women but just one time so you could jump in on that the next gen update is encouraging because the funds are raised for this phase one of the lower level renovation for the youth and children's ministries so we're very grateful for that and then uh, another two weeks we have on our missionary car fund the Berglunds and uh, Nikki Schultze both have needs to update, upgrade their uh, vehicle situation. So uh, after next week, after, we'll take the money that comes in for their car fund and divide it between them. And again, just using the offering boxes at the back, just note something on a check or an envelope or something that it is for the missionary car fund or something like that, and we'll get it to the right Place. Breakfast for the mission. Also, you'll see those uh, uh, containers for those breakfast items that will be completed as of today. So a couple of opportunities uh, for service. You also see the names there of the hoax and uh, one other name for uh, uh, baby dedication. So I'm going to ask some people I know pretty well to come up here, uh, Eric and Sarah Jean. And uh, is the whole family coming up? probably a good idea just thinking so uh, just a few notes about uh, uh, what what baby dedication is and is not uh, if you have read the Old Testament you may know the story of Samuel and that he was uh, specially gifted by God to Hannah who could not bear children and then when uh, little Samuel was born in a special way, they dedicated him with these words. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And I think all of us realize at a time of birth, there is something absolutely God-centered, miraculous each time a child is born. And we are so grateful for how God has established the family. And I'm really thankful for this family in particular, so Eric wants to come and uh, share a few words about Finley. All right. Well, this is Finley Jean. Um, he is not named after his mother. Just to clarify, that is Finley Jean with a G. Um, he is named after Virgil Jean Litke, uh, my grandfather, who, among other distinctions, um, was a man with a deep and earnest faith, and that is certainly our desire for Finley as well. Um, as we're thinking about uh, dedicating him this morning, um, it's drawn to uh, Third John. Uh, opening of that book says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. 
Um, he's referring there to spiritual children, um, but that certainly reflects our heart uh, for Finley and all of our children as well. Um, his name means noble warrior, and that is our, our desire for him, um, is that he will be bold in his pursuit of truth, that he will know his Savior, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, we know that this is not an easy or a popular path. Um, we pray that um, we can do our part to prepare him for it, uh, to stand for Christ, uh, to stand for truth in a world that will push him to compromise. So we're very blessed to be part of this body, um, knowing that he will be surrounded by people that will be teaching him in the years to come, um, helping him to, to grow those spiritual muscles, uh, to be uh, the God-honoring young man that we hope he will be. Thanks. Well, if you would mind joining me, and if you want to stand and uh, join with me as we dedicate uh, Finley, and just always realizing, as this is not something that is doing something spiritually for him, it's more of a dedication of us as a church family, and uh, it's always a dedication on the part of the parents to help bring them to a place where they can understand the gospel, because each person must come to that place of personal faith, and that is our prayer for for Finley and for all of our kids in this family and the church family. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for uh, the way you've designed uh, the body of Christ to be this extended family, and that in the presence of this uh, church family, we can uh, dedicate Eric and Sarah Jean in their uh, task of raising uh, Finley now that you have added to their home. And Lord, just pray that he would indeed uh, have that spiritual input that he needs to come to a place of faith personally in you, O Lord, our Savior. And we thank you for all you've done for us in providing that. Lord, I just want to pray for the families throughout the church and all that we um, would desire for our kids spiritually. Uh, We all know it's a challenging world of a spiritual battle. And so we just want to recommit ourselves to one another, to support, to pray, to care, to be involved in each other's lives about the most important thing of all, that we would walk with you until someday we see you face to face. So we thank you for Finley, and we commit him uh, into your care in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Here's a uh, book, and there we go. All right, now that you're seated, we can stand up again and continue worshiping this morning. And I 
It never runs out on me. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your All right, thank you, worship team. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts. Acts chapter 16, we'll go to a number of passages on the screen, but we'll kind of keep coming back to this one if you want to keep your Bibles open there. If you were with us last week, you know that we've begun a new study in the book of 1 Timothy. And today, as we celebrate Mother's Day, I thought it'd be a good time to dig into Timothy's personal family story in particular because of the spiritual impact of his mother and grandmother in his life. So as we dig a little deeper into the details of what we do know about Timothy and his family, I hope that you go away encouraged today about your family, whatever that family situation might be, whatever hurts even you might experience. The reality is there are no perfect families. The reality is that every relationship is touched and marred by sin. But the encouragement is that no matter what our marriage situation, whatever parenting situation, whatever is of a concern on our hearts today about our families, and those usually are our biggest concerns, that we would realize today that God's always in the process of redeeming something that sin has wounded. And so we want to be turning to him and trusting God for his work in each of our families. As we come to Acts 16, we uh, realize the situation for Timothy was that his home was spiritually mixed. That is, in terms of his parents. We touched this briefly last week. Verse 16, uh, verse 1 of chapter 16, and he means Paul. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek, meaning non-Jew, and by implication, not a believer, not a believer in Christ. Um, This was Paul's second visit to this hometown of Lystra where Timothy lived. 
we find elsewhere that his mother's name was Eunice, his grandma's name was Lois. We'll come across that today. And they all lived there in Lystra where Paul had come through a year or two before and planted the church, brought the gospel, planted the church in Lystra on the first visit. And here we find them in this visit. Mom and dad did not share faith in Christ. We could wish that every family would have a mom and a dad who both uh, pursued Christ uh, in tandem, believed in him, followed him, stayed married. That's not reality. Mom and dad did not, uh, did not live on the same page, if you will. And so what does this tell us that was an experience, first of all, of Timothy's mom? His mom probably felt some guilt for that situation. We don't know exactly how this came about, but a Jew married to a Gentile, in fact, was forbidden by Old Testament law. So this marriage, in some sense, started wrong. Now, if this were a movie about you know, people from two different faiths that, that come together, and uh, you would see the, the plot develop and how that, uh, in spite of uh, some stigmas or resistance from family, love would conquer all, and it would all end very warm and fuzzy and wonderful. And we might even be asking, so what's the big deal, Jew? and Gentile marrying. Probably some Germans who married Luxembourgers here or something like that, I suppose. And really, this is not about two ethnicities or races marrying at all. That's not the situation that God is confronting. The situation in the Old Testament law was a spiritual difference. And so in Deuteronomy, they were told, God's word told them, don't marry pagan non Jews. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serving other gods. It was a spiritual concern. Why did he command that? Well, think about it. There is one God, and that God gave his word, that God gave his moral, ethical commands to his people. And if just one spouse is following the authority and recognizing the authority of God in her life or his life, and the other is not, now the child has inherited some spiritual confusion. Did you ever have two bosses and they kept contradicting each other? kind of feel that tension. So what am I supposed to do? One example, we recently been studying in the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, Solomon was one who disobeyed this command, and he married many foreign women. And not only did it lead his children to idolatry, it led him to idolatry. And if you know, the successor of Solomon was his son Rehoboam. Rehoboam was one who grew up in a spiritually mixed marriage, his dad, Jewish, and for a time at least, was following the Lord faithfully. His mother was an Ammonite named Naamah, and an Ammonite was a pagan, foreign, uh, idol-worshiping, probably one of those mentioned in the story of Solomon. And indeed, Second Chronicles 12 would later say that Rehoboam, the son, abandoned the law of God and all Israel with him. The lack of spiritual unity will have some consequences. And so she may have experienced some guilt, but you know what? God is always at work with his grace for our guilt. And that is the constant hope we will see in, in Timothy's life as well. So, so how did this come about, do you suppose, there in, uh, in Lystra? We don't know how it happened. There's some evidence that sometimes uh, being this far away from Jerusalem, the, the epicenter of, of Judaism, that sometimes family, Jewish families got a bit lax. It's possible even in an era of arranged marriages that maybe Eunice's dad even encouraged, this happens sometimes, encouraged marriage to someone who was financially more successful. Maybe it happened that way. Maybe it was something in Eunice's life where she was stubborn about who she would marry. Maybe it was, maybe it was that Timothy was conceived already. We don't know the situation, but somehow we know that Timothy would be this kid who had to decide spiritually at some point, will I follow dad's way or, or mom's way? Let's bring this into 2021. Was this just 
an Old Testament thing, or is there a New Testament instruction about marriage as well? Actually, there is. God instructs believers in Christ to marry believers in Christ. In the case of, uh, it's kind of incidental how this is mentioned, but in 1 Corinthians 7, it's talking about uh, someone remarrying whose spouse has died. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Because God's design is for spiritual unity. In another letter to the Corinthians, Paul makes the same point, doesn't specifically apply it to marriage, though it certainly would apply. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And the picture here of the, uh, the yoke is of the uh, ancient agricultural practices where uh, two oxen, to be able to pull an implement, would be yoked together with a wooden beam shaped to their neck, and that way they would double their, their pulling capacity as they pulled in tandem. What if one isn't pulling? It's not a very effective uh, way of, of working the field. It's possible. Have, have some of you like ridden a tandem bike with a slacker? <laughs> that laugh tells me someone did. Um, don't, don't poke the person next to you if you, he or she happens to be with you, but... It's kind of frustrating when, when one is, is, is pulling ahead and, and one is not. So it, it's just this kind of a situation. You know, we've said that many times here, I think we've said everything is spiritual in the sense that every decision we make needs to fall under the umbrella of I want to do God's will. I want, I want, I want God to be pleased with what I am doing. And, and we all know that any marriage is a situation where you must make decisions together and uh, indeed, Priscilla and I find it's hard enough to make decisions together when we are spiritually unified, but just based on our personalities and preferences or priorities, we have to, it, it's work to come together to make mutual decisions. But the one thing that keeps drawing us together the best is we have the same spiritual goals, and God can use that. And so we kind of understand, don't we, why God would say what he did. And from God's perspective, one more passage from the Old Testament is from the prophet Malachi. Malachi was uh, assigned to confront an issue, couple, two issues, two family issues in Israel. One was the frequent cases of divorce, and one was the spiritually mixed marriages. And uh, if we understand this, the, 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 the translation of this correctly, it reads like this. Did he not make them one, referring to man and woman, make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? So there's this, the Holy Spirit was, was trying to function in this union. And what was the one that God was seeking? Godly offspring. And so he cared most about how this union could best bring about others who would follow the Lord. Not to say, because we're looking today at the example of Timothy where there was not spiritual unity, and yet we see the, the, the good story of, of Timothy himself. This has implications, this whole principle, I think, has implications for anyone who, who wants to marry, who is seeking to marry, who is dating, who is anticipating marriage at some point, First of all, that our own heart would be fully dedicated to the Lord. And if so, then we need to be seeking to marry someone who is likewise a believer in Christ and wholeheartedly following the Lord. So do you know their heart, his heart, her heart when it comes to spiritual things? Because that spiritual unity will be the most important issue in your marriage as time goes on. I know that in our, our culture, you could say, or, or time, this can seem like hard truth. It can seem so, so restricted, but we have to understand the heart of God when he designed marriage and how he plans for the difficulties of marriage to work themselves through. And his heart is, first of all, a heart of love. If we're anticipating marriage, he says, you want to find someone with the same heart towards God. That unity is what will draw you together. It's a heart of love if you're anticipating marriage, and it's a heart of God's grace and love if you're looking back at decisions that are already made. 
And so please understand that today as we look at sometimes we're looking at God's ideal, but much of the time we're looking at the fact that much of the world, much, most families are not functioning in the ideal and that there are no right, perfect families, but sin is something that God is, is at work to, to give us grace for over and over. In fact, in First Timothy chapter 1, when we continue that study, we're going to experience Paul's admission uh, in chapter 1. I'm the worst of sinners, but I was shown mercy. That, that's, what, that's what Paul wants to tell us. He was a persecutor of Christians before he came to faith in Christ, and, and yet look how God used him, or look how God used uh, Eunice, uh, how he used Timothy. And so whatever your situation, looking backwards, you don't, you don't live in, in, uh, in shame. Uh, you, don't, you don't need to defend anything. It's just you're someone walking with God who is an object of his grace. If ever there are Christians around you who don't fully accept that uh, or, or, or somehow look down on you, that is their loss. But you are walking with the God who is at work with his grace. One of our adult children has a wall hanging that says, family is a workshop for grace. It's what you do. Whether it's past sin, present sin, future sin, family is a place where we continue to work on grace. Looking back in uh, Timothy's story, though, we realize it had to be a struggle for Timothy because he did have to choose whom he would follow in terms of example at some point. And his dad was not that spiritual leader. Uh, The impact of a dad can't be underestimated. We'd like the story to end that Timothy's daddy came to faith in Christ and it all turned out warm and wonderful, but it, it didn't happen that way, it seems. So if you're a young person who sees a spiritual difference between mom and dad, does it make it somehow hopeless? Or if you are a parent who is going it alone in some sense spiritually is it uh is it crippling is it a is a helpless situation and that that's what's so encouraging about the story is that it's not the case there is no script of what god is doing or god will do Um, not every family will have a white picket fence christian postcard in fact they probably don't exist I think one of the tendencies is when we're part of a church family, if, if there's something that is, is we say, oh, that's, there's a gap, there's a problem in our family. You can walk into a room like this and you look around and go, oh, everybody here must have perfect Christian families. Nah, nah. We're all struggling with and needing the Lord deeply in one way or another. Not every family's having warm, honest family prayer time every, every night before they go to bed. Not every mom and dad pray together. Not, it, it's a struggle. This is planet Earth. Satan roams here, and we need to realize that our families will be a place of personal spiritual battle. And no matter how how traditional or right our family might be structured, I guarantee you there'll be some point along the line where we're going to find ourselves deeply in need, deeply prayerful, deeply dependent upon God. And I'd say that's a good thing. Because that is the path that God has for us spiritually. And if God has trusted you with a unique challenge more like Timothy's home, you're not second class, you're just one more person who longs that they're to, to be part of a spiritual uh, legacy. You're, you're in the tribe of Eunice. Well, here's what God often does. If someone has a sincere faith, God is at work and he will use someone in that family's life. Uh, Timothy had mom and grandma. I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, Paul told Timothy, which first dwelled in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it's in you as well. The key issue is, here were two other people in Timothy's life that had a sincere faith. What does that mean? The word sincere is actually an interesting, helpful word. Uh, There's a word in the Greek language that means play acting. It's the word hypocritos. It's where we get our word hypocrite. In other words, someone pretending something that isn't actual. 
And it's the word they used to describe people who were in the, the Greek plays and in the, in the Colosseums or whatever. So those are actors, pretenders. Actors are pretenders. If you're a really good pretender, we call you a celebrity. That's, that's what they do. They're so good at acting. And, and so there's that word, but that's not this word. That's this word with two little Greek letters in front of it that says, not that. Not a hypocrite. Not a pretender. What they had was a sincerity and authenticity about their faith. And the key to any parent or grandparent having an impact on someone in their family is that there is something real about you. That's not, they're not putting on a front, maybe when you come together at church or in front of others, but in the car right on the way home, what they hear is bitterness and slander and gossip and critical, you know, those kinds of things. There's a consistency. Because what, what kid wants to repeat a parent's hypocrisy? I once heard a speaker at a men's conference tell about a, uh, a dad who drove the kids to school one day, which was the exception. Usually mom brought the kids to school, but dad drove that day, and next day the mom's back driving the kids to school. And as they get to school, one of the younger kids says, Mom, we didn't see any idiots today. And she says, what? She says, well, yesterday when dad drove, we saw seven of them. <laughs> Little children, big ears. Even parents with a sincere faith will make mistakes. Parents with a sincere faith will sometimes lose their temper. Sometimes they will say something negative and they realize it. But here's what a sincere faith does. When God convicts our heart, we apologize. The big person apologizing to the little person. Because daddy, because mommy is still learning and God is still teaching us and I'm very sorry because that was not the right thing to do or say. And there is something about that authenticity, that transparency, that actually works the power of a sincere faith in the next generation. Timothy's mom had that. And so Timothy didn't have to live with the confusion that mom wanted him to obey God in the Scripture, but she didn't herself. In fact, mom and grandma became those who taught him the word of God. Going to 2 Timothy again. You, however, Paul reminds Timothy, continue in what you have learned, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. That's Eunice and Lois. From childhood, you have known this. Some of you, if, you're looking, if you were looking this up in your translation, it says infancy, which would probably be even more accurate. It's, it's the Greek word for the youngest child. In fact, when Luke described Jesus as a baby in the manger, he used this word, infancy. Infancy. So... Mother Eunice, living under the Old Testament before, you could say, Paul came along with the gospel, was already a, a woman committed in Timothy's younger years to the scriptures, and he, she began to teach him the scriptures. What, it's never too early, you could say, to teach the scriptures to your kids, but we all know it can be at some point too late. And so this would be, I guess, a word if you're a younger mom or dad, what's your plan so that your child will know the scriptures? If you believe it to be that God's word, God's authority, what's your plan that they would know it? What sacrifices would you make so that they would know the word of God? What would you do so that they would know both you as well as other adults who believed and followed the word of God? What would you do so that they would know other young people who knew and followed the word of God? Because our kids are going to get a lot of 
time, a lot of input from the world. There's screen time, there's friend time, there's school and play time where they can get a lot of input that is not from the scripture. So where will they get the scripture? Our kids need to know Bible stories. Because the, the stories are in there. I mean, he could have just written it all out, just here's this list of things to do, here's the principles. But it's amazing how many actual events are recorded because we're supposed to know God's power and God's authority in, 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 in a flesh and blood kind of a way. And so we learn the power of God that he created this world. He's a very good God because the world is beautiful. The universe is amazing. And yet we see that he also can destroy it. And so he brought the flood and, and, and sin must be addressed and judged by a holy God. He's good, but he's holy. And so he's a God so good that when his people need deliverance, he can part the Red Sea and you can walk through on dry ground, but he can also call down fire from heaven. And so a, a child can, can, can begin to grasp who this God really is and that he, he has this great love, but he's holy and sin has consequences. I've been uh, personally reading in First and Second Kings uh, recently, and it's it's just every time I read through this section, it kind of just amazes me. It can it can almost be a little bit like repetitive or boring because you know it's this king in in Israel and then this king in Judah, and this is a good king, this is a bad king. But you start following that stories and you begin to realize that you're getting a sweep of how many generations, and and you're realizing what difference it made if it says they followed the Lord. Or they disobeyed the Lord. And the outcomes are like, duh, what were they thinking? And the impact is on ourselves, duh. <laughs> As we're tempted to disobey, what, what are we thinking? And so as, as, as believing parents, we want to, whether we're going alone or together, we want to create this storehouse of wisdom that they would know someone they learned it from that had a sincere faith. And this storehouse of, of biblical wisdom and knowledge of God can be that which helps to lead them to a point of faith when the gospel is clear to them at some point, hopefully in their childhood already, but at some point in their life, that gospel can be clear to them. And then as they believe in Christ, the next verse says, Paul says to Timothy, because we know that all Scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and training in righteousness. And I've shared before, I love this progression because the Scripture is that which, which first of all tells us this is the way to go, teaching you which way to go. And if you go into the ditch, it can rebuke you. You're in the ditch. And then it can also give us the, the way back out of the ditch, the correction, and then the training in righteousness so this doesn't happen again because God's in the process of conforming us to himself and caring spiritually for our family and for our legacy and for the kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids. And so we're going to need the scriptures. So Timothy did not have a believing dad, but boy, what did he have? He had the scriptures lived out authentically by two key people in his life. And then, you know what God did next? He brought along someone in his life who would mentor him beyond that. Back to Acts 16. Verse 2. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke, spoke well of him. That's Timothy. And then now it says Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. Just, just stop at that point. So there were some men who had been around him, I guess, in the churches, and then Paul steps in. Paul recognized his potential, and for over a decade, Paul and Timothy would be partners, spiritually, and partners in ministry, and it's like Paul picked up where, where Eunice left off, because at some point, Eunice realizes she's got to back off. You can take your kids so far. And now it's the adult world and the adult decisions that they will make. And so especially in the absence of a believing dad, Timothy had somebody else who, who was a few steps ahead, Paul. If, if you're a young person who wants to walk with Christ, look around at the adult world and you will see, if you're particularly involved in the fellowship of a church, you'll see people you respect. 
You'll see someone that, that uh, you can learn from. You, you'll, you'll, you'll notice somebody that cares about you. And then it's a, man, it's a, a reminder to us that we, we need to be looking for Timothys around us. And you don't have to be an apostle or a Bible teacher. You just need to be somebody who's a, a couple of steps ahead in what God has been teaching you. And find ways to build relationships with those who are younger than you. Same for women. There are daughters who someone is praying for, and you might be a woman in her life who can help them another step along the way, maybe in a particular season. And so what do you do? You don't have to wait for a church program. You need to, to simply take interest it, maybe, it's, maybe it's in one of the youth programs, or, or maybe it's a young mom, and, and you can take interest in, in what they care about, which is their young children. Pray for them. Offer if you can, can help them in some way and, and be available to them, because there are young Timothys and there are young Eunices everywhere. I know in my life there's a, a man named Hal Schultz, a retired pastor now living in, in California, who impacted my life for three crucial years when I was just learning about ministry uh, at our church in Omaha before we went to seminary. And uh, in some sense, every day, every week, the last three or four decades have been impacted by Hal and what he built into my life during those three years. As Eunice did her job in a less than ideal situation, God provided Paul for her son. Now, one final important, important issue is that there was responsibility that Timothy had for himself. It's not all about parents, is it? It's not all about mentors. It's somebody taking responsibility spiritually for themselves. Verse 2 again. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Think about that. Paul, had, I mean, Timothy has been a believer now for a year or two. Young man, probably early 20s. But here are some men in two cities that speak well of him. Speak well refers to a firsthand knowledge of somebody. Lystra and Iconium are 20 miles apart. There were churches in both places started by Paul. And somehow, men at both places had gotten to know Timothy well enough that they realized this is a man that God has his hand on. Did Timothy somehow these serve in both in both places somehow at any rate paul says i want to take this guy along verse three and even that's kind of an interesting story because if you recall on this is paul's second missionary journey and paul's first missionary journey he took a young man along paul and barnabas took a young man along named john mark also known as mark who would later mature and become the man who wrote the gospel of mark but that first go-around, the first time we meet Mark, he went along with Paul and Barnabas, and he copped out. He, he quit the journey, and he went home to mom in Jerusalem. Interestingly, he left in Pamphylia, it says, which is this region where Lystra and Iconium is. So a couple of years later, I think when Paul came along, and, and he, he's remembering even geographically, this is where the last young guy dropped us, um, I bet he checked out the references pretty well for Timothy. He says, Timothy, I want you to come along with me. There's another part to Timothy's story that tells us about the heart he had for God and for ministry, as we keep reading in verse 3. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. They knew his heritage was mixed as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. That's Acts 15, the chapter before. So the churches, therefore, were strengthened in faith and grew daily in number. Here's, here's the unusual nature of this story. Of course, Timothy's a young adult, and he is um, half Jew, half Gentile. Circumcision was a sign that uh, Jewish moms and dads performed for their baby boys, indicating they were going to raise him according to the law, according to the Old Testament covenant. 
babies don't remember that procedure, you can be sure Timothy would. Why was he circumcised? Why would Paul do that? Why would Timothy comply? Because, in fact, the previous chapter, Acts 15, is about what we call the Jerusalem Council. Chapter 15, verse 1 says there were some legalistic Hebrew Jewish Christians who said, oh, if you're, you can, it's okay if you're a Christian, but you need to be circumcised in order to be a Jewish Christian. And the elders got together and prayerfully decided, no, you don't. You don't need to be circumcised because that would be like implying or adding good works to salvation. And no, salvation is a free gift. So right on the heels of having made that decision, you don't need to be circumcised. He encounters Timothy and tells him to be circumcised. It seems like a contradiction. So why did Paul ask it and why did Timothy comply there's only one reason that makes any sense, and that is that Timothy did not want anything to be a hindrance for the gospel as they would minister to Jewish people. And for Jewish people who didn't even really understand, it would be a hindrance. Did, does, does this Timothy, this, this half-Jew, half-Gentile guy, does, does he even care about our spiritual heritage? And so because of the gospel... He complies. The Old Testament covenant wasn't enforced. He didn't need to do it spiritually. It wouldn't be visible, of course, and, and it would considerably require sacrifice on his part and discomfort. So why would he do it? It's because he's a man that we find to be of sincere faith. A man who says, I will not demand my rights and my comforts if it could remove just one more possible barrier between me and ministry to others. Paul says, I want that guy to come along and serve God with me. He had a sincere faith, took responsibility, became a spiritual leader. Actually, pretty early in his partnership with, uh, with Paul, 1 Corinthians 4, 17 says, I have sent you, Timothy. He tells the Corinthians, I've sent you, Timothy. He's done this before. Who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere. In the church. So we discover that uh, Timothy did not look back and blame his dad because his dad didn't believe. He didn't blame God that he didn't have the Christian home that, that some people did. No one will stand before God and say, Well, you see, I grew up in a spiritually deficient home. We will all be accountable for ourselves. And he took responsibility. But we know that God was faithful to provide some very key people in his life, starting with mom and grandma, and then Paul, who would come along and, and be the encourager, be the, be the cheerleader for him. We all need that. We all need to be that for someone. I came across a, a remarkable story this week about a high school basketball game in 2015 in Texas. Gainesville State School is a school for uh, high school that is it's all juvenile delinquents who are serving some kind of time. And at this school, if you have uh, very good behavior, you can participate in, in interschool athletics. And so there's a basketball team. But one of the unusual things about whenever Gainesville State School played anybody is that on their side of the gym, there were no fans, virtually no fans. Of course, their classmates couldn't get out uh, to attend. Their parents sometimes lived uh, far away in the state. And even those who lived close, there's indication that a lot of them didn't even attend. Uh, maybe some of the family issues that were part of their lives were part of that story. But usually an empty half of the gym. But in this particular game, when they came to Waco for a, uh, there's a uh, college prep school called Vanguard, there were two students that were on the team, Hudson Bradley and Ben Martinson, who felt it just wasn't right to be playing a team that would have no fans. And so they recruited and encouraged that half of their fans would sit on the other side and cheer for Gainesville throughout this game. And that's exactly what they did. And to the surprise of the Vanguard uh, guys' team, as they came out of the locker room, they didn't know 
There were posters, there were cheerleaders, there were cheers. And all game long, someone was on their side. And the the news report said no one really cared who won the game because already everyone had won that one. In the interviews afterwards, a couple of the players on Gainesville's state school team says, we will never, ever forget this. We all need someone because every family is imperfect and, and we can all be grateful for the body of Christ that God will use this person in this child's life, this person in this child's life because this is a family. This is, this is the big family. This is the extended family. And we have our own personal families and both families are imperfect but somehow God is weaving that together that we support one another And this morning, we just simply want to say to moms especially, thank you for your part in guiding the imperfect home. Let's admit it, the imperfect homes of which we are all part. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are just asking your help and care for us. We care about families. We care about, because we care about you. And uh, Lord, we know that this this life is just a a start. It's a a runway to, to our eventual home and uh, we just pray that we would be um, faithful. Whatever family impact we can have, that we would not just live for ourselves, but we would see how uh, our life and our sincerity becomes part of the story for any young person especially that's, that's watching us. And I pray that you would just help us to be faithful and then that we would just trust that you are at work in our family, whatever our situation and would expect miraculous things from your hand as we seek to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.